welcome to Noisy Fulfillment, a Desperate Housewives rewatch podcast where we take you back in time episode by episode of ABC's Desperate Housewives. If you love what we're doing and would like to support us further than just as a listener, which we absolutely thank you for, you can really help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star review and subscribing to this podcast. That really helps people to find us because analytics equals search results. We'll also read it on the air, so if you love to hear stuff you've written on the air, here's your chance. Also, you can become a patron by contributing at any monetary level by going to anchor.fm slash noisyfulfillment. You can also buy us a virtual coffee by tipping us in our virtual tip jar at ko-fi.com slash noisyfulfillment. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash noisyfulfillment where you can comment on stuff, react to stuff, and also message us. You can also email us at noisyfulfillment at gmail.com. Amanda Baum, here we are. Hey, Rachel, how are you? Hanging in there. So, um, today we're breaking down episode one or uh, episode episode thirteen, season one, Your Fault, written by Kevin Etten, who is our first time writer and directed by Arlene Sanford. And this is the third episode that we've seen with her, and it first aired on January twenty third, two thousand five. So long ago. Gosh, I know. Different lifetime ago. And we talk about what is the most 2005 thing about this episode, and yes. we have different answers each time. Um, but I thought I thought of you when I saw that the song title check-in was from Into the Woods by Sondheim. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We love a Broadway title. You knew you would. Actually, I talked about that with Will from the We're Listening podcast when he asked if New York, New York was considered a dangerous number or a safe number for Susan to be singing. And I never asked you. So what's the verdict on that? Um, I I thought she nailed it. I thought yeah. she did an excellent job with it. And I thought it was a really good vessel for her to use to deliver some anger with Carl. <laughs> oh, yes. I thought it was just, was it was a great song with a lot of opportunities for transition into, you know, red rage and then back to the song. I, 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 I thought it was excellent. But from the musical theater perspective, would you be able to tell us if that is a safe choice or a dangerous choice? I don't know that I'm, I, I don't know that I'm an expert to say okay. that, but okay. just from a, did I enjoy it as a viewer? 10 out of 10 would recommend. I think, I think he was on the same page as you. So good to yeah. know. Great. Oh, so we have some reviews, Amanda Baum. Oh, how exciting. I love I it. I'm here for it. And we said that we would read them even if they hurt our feelings. <laughs> yeah. Because we can take it we can take it seriously without taking it personally. So we're here for it, right? Um, we have a five-star review. Um, uh, this was from Cassie. And it's, I love DH and I love that so many of my favorite shows are having podcasts. I am there for that as well, Cassie. I love how the ladies talk about each episode in detail. Thanks so much for a great podcast, ladies. Thanks, Cassie. Oh, love you, Cassie. Yes. Uh, and then we have a three star, and it is from Sophie SSH. And it says, I really want to enjoy this podcast. I like the host overall, but Rachel stutters a lot, and it's very distracting. This is based on my listen of the first two episodes. So I got to say, um, I don't even, I think I'm just so immersed in the conversation that I, I never realized there was any sort of stutter, probably because I was so worried about making sure I was <laughs> delivering my information appropriately, but I, that, that never occurred to me. 
Yeah, well, and and I my response to the feedback, Sophie, that was the most gentle criticism that I think I have ever received. I've been in education for a very long time, so I am completely here for it. I appreciate it. I thank you, and I hear you, and I will try to do better. But I will say that one thing Amanda and I decided on from the outset of this was that this was going to be a product that we're proud of, but we were also going to use it as our self-care item, and we were not going to uber produce it we were going to love it for what it was yes two girls having a conversation about a good show that's it but I do want her to like it too so I appreciate again gentle criticism she wants to like it and I want her to like it so I don't know if she's still around but I would love to know Sophie if you would give us a uh, if you would give us another review and let us know is it going better is it not did you not pick it up again but at the same time if you didn't pick it up again you're probably not hearing this so I'll be I'll be curious to see also, Sophie and Cassie, both of you, thank you so much for even taking the time to give that. Yeah, feedback. for sure. That's Usually, how feedback makes us better. Yes, it absolutely does. And again, we can take it seriously without taking it personally. So I'm here for That's it. That's a really good way to put it. That's a really good way to put it. So Rachel, how was your week? Did you have a good week? So I don't remember. Oh, and now okay. I do. Okay, got it. Yeah, I have right, to think right. I have to think back because I feel like I do that a lot is I just get through it sometimes and then I have to go back and open up that box and decide and unpack it. And I don't know that I always do that enough. So I'm unpacking it with you. It was okay. a pretty, it was a pretty good week. Monday, I I taught a class and in this class, we did an active intruder training with teacher candidates. So people who are Oof. going to be teachers. Oof. How did that go? It's heavy. And that was, was that on, that wasn't on site at the university. That was on site where you teach your class. Yes. It was on site at one of our partner schools. So we used okay. their room. Like it would be for the, the teacher candidates that I interact with are going to be high school teachers. Most of them, yeah. um, unless they're getting subsequent endorsement, but it, it's important for all of us to know. I read that book to my daughter. I'm not, I'm not scared. I'm prepared. So mm. it's just a reality that we live with as teachers and as students and as people who send our kids to school. Any school is open to it. Don't I? There is not a place where you can say, "Well, that's just not going to happen here." And I be and I think that that is a really dangerous mentality. So Definitely. I don't want to scare people. I don't want to scare my own child who's only seven, but I do want her to be prepared and to feel empowered that. Scary things can happen to us, and we can still not fall victim to it. We can still feel good about our level of preparedness. Yes. Um, Side note, on the not Uber producing it, the noise (laughs) that you might hear in my background right now is my dog eating his Kong against the closet doors of my office. So I apologize. If you hear snorting and slurping and a door rattling, I promise I do not have somebody locked in my closet. It is my dog. Man, we're going to get to a season where I feel like that will be even more important to note that you're not actually acting out some of the desperate actions of our friends on Wisteria Lane. I want to hear about your week. How was your week? Um, My week was incredible and life-changing. So I am... Um, part of the Smithsonian Teacher Innovator Institute and with um, through the Smithsonian Museum of Air and Space. And last weekend I got to go, or last week I got to go to Houston for the Space Exploration Educators Conference. So I was literally hanging out on NASA campus. Um, I got to go to Mission Control for um, 
the like it was restored to the version of the first lunar landing and we got to sit in mission control and watch and watch the graphs in the screens and listen to the audio from the first lunar landing my husband and i watched apollo 13 last night and i kept saying like pause and i'd show him a picture from my phone that like matched mission control and i was telling him about those jackets they're still on the wall and that was pretty funny but um i also got to meet a couple of astronauts which is incredible and when you were talking about your um, active intruder drill, that really was interesting because when I was in Houston, we got to go to the neutral buoyancy lab where the astronauts train mm-hmm. underwater on a life-size model of the ISS to go and do whatever repairs they're going to do. So they're literally like in spacesuits underwater acting out and, and like practicing all the things that they're doing, but they have a series of checklist items that they have to do while underwater. And so we were watching from above, but then also listening to their audio because it's live streamed so they can like break down the the video of what they did later on. And while we were getting ready to leave, we heard one of the astronauts. So so while we were in there, you know, we're all about representation. Mm. Um, while we were in there, there were two astronauts training and one was an Asian American man and the other was a woman. And so I was like, hooray yeah. for like non-white dudes being the astronauts that we're watching train right now. But anyway, as we were getting ready to leave, one of the astronauts was like, hey, I'm lightheaded. It was Johnny Kim. We were watching Johnny Kim and Laurel O'Hara. And Johnny all of a sudden was like, hey, I'm lightheaded. I need help. And then his feed cut out and we could hear Laurel saying like, are you okay? Are you okay? And so we were all like, oh my gosh, what what happened to Johnny? But we found out later on, they have to prepare for a worst case scenario of anything that could happen. And so while they were, while they were doing their work, mission control came over Johnny's private feed and was like, all right, we need you to pass out now so that everybody could practice. What do we do if one of our astronauts loses consciousness? So we basically watched an active shooter drill, but on the international space station. So it was, it was terrifying, but also really neat to know that like in every profession, people are doing that same thing that we're doing um, as educators. So I feel like you package that to make it as like stars. We're just like you. (laughs) We do. (laughs) We get prepared for the zombie apocalypse. But that is like the most epic week of my life that I didn't live. Yes, it was. It was incredible. incredible. I hope you enjoyed all my pictures on on Facebook. I did. I was stalking so hard. (laughs) So at one point we had our banquet, we had our Friday night banquet and, and guys, science teachers can get down. Like when you let us loose inside of a space museum to have our banquet with a DJ, it's going to go, it's going to be lit. So (laughs) this astronaut, this astronaut, Mike Foreman, um, shows up and like, basically, basically like photo bombs my group while we're taking our picture. We didn't even know he was there. And we turn around and we're like, oh, it's an astronaut. I'll I'll post the picture on our feed if you would like. But um, would like. the director the director of the um, conference comes over and is like, we need to respect the facility and there will be no crowd surfing of the astronaut. And I was like, well, is that your only rule? And yeah, she's okay. like, we could do other said, things. She goes, well, that's the only one I can think of. And I said, I can work with that. So you we obviously did not, not talk the astronaut. Right. She didn't know. She didn't know me. But we did not crowd surf, crowd surf the astronaut. But anyway, it was a good week. It was a, it was a good week. It was a pretty I, good week. I just feel like I get to 
do a project that I love to do. I get to talk about Desperate Housewives with a really good friend who is also a rock star. I just, <laughs> I just live vicariously through these experiences. I'm so excited for you. If by rock star you mean huge nerd, then yes, yes. We can turn that into, I mean, again, that's the difference between like an MIT student who's already a rock star because you're going to do great things and then, you know, winning at poker or, or blackjack in Vegas because you created a, count, a card counting team. I'm just saying. Oh, okay, rounders. The, All sequ- right. the sequence from nerd yes. to rock star is, it's there. I see it. We love a Matt Damon. We love a Matt Damon reference. I also love a Jim Sturgis reference because 21 with him and Kate Bosworth is a fantastic movie as well. I like it a lot. Very, It's very splashy. It's a little splashier than rounders. Was I wrong with my rounders? Was it? No, 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 no. That's no, that's Matt Damon. Okay. But okay. 21 okay. is also very good. And it's a little bit more splashy. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll add that to my list of things to do in my free time when I'm not meeting astronauts and you know, learning how to scuba dive and do astronaut drills underwater. I love that. Oh. Okay. Well, we can get into we can get into our frame. I'm not gonna even gonna try to segue because you just had a really fantastic week and I'm so excited for you. <laughs> Speaking of fantastic weeks, this week in our episode, I think it's much heavier. There's lots oh. of talk about responsibility, which I can absolutely get on board with. People need to be responsible, people need to be mm-hmm. held accountable. But mm-hmm. just the title, your fault. Mm-hmm really Mm. irks me it gets to me a bit and I'm excited to break this down with you because the episode starts out by talking about control your kid they're your responsibility and then Mm -hmm. it moves into suburbia is a place filled with responsible people trying to lead responsible lives of course even the most responsible among us have mistakes in our past mistakes we would like to forget mistakes that come back to haunt us and Amanda Baum I am not going to ask you what your biggest mistake is and I'm not telling you mine But what I am going to ask you is how you deal with words like fault and blame and responsibility and mistake. So I think mistakes, um, I teach middle school. So we talk about Mm. mistakes about a hundred times a day, Mm -hmm. Um, whether they be academic mistakes or, or making the wrong choice as a person. And I think, I think a mistake is a great opportunity to learn as long as you are willing to be reflective about it. And that for me, like my kids always know we have four, main PBIS expectations, whether you're a PBIS person or not, we are be responsible, be um, respectful, be safe and be reflective. And my kids know like the biggest one for me is be reflective because we're always, we're always learning and growing. And if we think about all the people that are impacted when we make a choice, then that's, that means we're on the right track as human beings. So I'm about mistakes. Um, Placing blame, I think is really dangerous because I think when we do that, we kind of remove ourselves from having any sort of responsibility. And I think Mm -hmm. in every situation where there are multiple people, there's like, it's, it's very rarely just one person's a hundred percent fault. Usually it's kind of like a series of, a series of events, series of unfortunate events that lead to something like responsibility, super, super important, but that placing blame, I, I, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like it's it's super dangerous, except in some pretty specific situations. I really like that. And for me, it becomes kind of this death spiral where, so I try to reframe it in the most non-judgmental way possible. 
and state them as objective statements of fact, even though there are feelings involved when people need mm-hmm. to be held accountable. It's just not always terribly important to me to find and an assign fault or blame. It's important mm-hmm. to me to find a path moving forward because people do make mistakes and rarely are they irredeemable as people. It seems yeah. like we get to this place sometimes where we just, I mean, I guess. You're done. With, yeah, like cancel, like cancel you completely. And there's nothing to be learned from that. What are you supposed to do? Go back and not be born? I'm not sure right. what you do. Do we exile you to Elba or something? Like what do we, right. what, what do, we do, you know? Um, so okay, I think, look at yeah, him. no, and even he got brought back at one point. Um, I feel like we're on Gilmore Girls, where we're gonna need like a list. You know how at the end of like this season, they have like the yes. list of all the different. You know, here's where we reference Grey Gardens, and here's what it is. I feel like that's gonna be at the end of our season. We need a glossary of terms, I guess, or yes. like where the references are. Okay, from an academic standpoint, okay. I get that, and at the same time. Um, in the context of Desperate Housewives, these characters do need to be held accountable. And that's yeah. going to be painful for me because I love them despite their flaws. And right. sometimes because of them, not necessarily in this case. But for instance, Gabby needs to be held accountable for her infidelity to Carlos and statutory rape. And it's, yeah. not, it's not okay that I want her to get out of this unscathed because John's not going to be unscathed by it. He's going to be troubled and traumatized by it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Carlos isn't going to be unscathed by it. This is a betrayal. And right. it's a completely unfair power dynamic between, especially between John and Gabby. And it, it's going to be really damaging to him as a young person. Agree. 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 Oof. Mm. We have a lot. We have a lot to discuss. We haven't even, I haven't even asked you to hit us with a summary yet, but I'm gonna. Okay. So um, we meet Tom's father who within the first 12 words out of his mouth becomes my new least favorite person Mm -hmm. to hang out on Wisteria Lane. So um, after he comes at us with some misogyny, he then um, gets caught with one of his clients or maybe not clients. Um, Tom, of course, gets involved and gets himself in a little bit of trouble with Lynette. Mm-hmm. So then we have Susan catching Zach and Julie uh, making out and <laughs> wants Paul to do something about it. And then they there's a school dance and some creepy scenes there. And, and then um, some sort of chaos ensues towards the end of the episode regarding Zach and Julie. We have Rex and Bree trying to um, trying to work out the details of their divorce, and all of a sudden Rex has a little bit of a soft spot for Bree, which mm-hmm. it's fun to watch that power dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we have some creepy George moments in there, mm-hmm. and then last we have Gabby um, being approached by John's parents when um, they find out he's not going to be going to college. So we have we have a little bit of Gabby and John in this episode as well. So one of the things that I noticed about this as opposed to, I was listening to a podcast about another rewatch that I'm doing right now, and they talked about the difference between 2005 and 2015 in terms of these quick cuts, and that couldn't be more appropriate to Desperate Housewives because it can sometimes be exhausting because we do, like, if you if you count it down, sometimes we do 60 seconds in a scene at Bree's kitchen and then we do 60 seconds at the, the kids school and then we go back to Bree's kitchen for the next 60 seconds of that and that can be yeah. really jarring back and forth 
Yes. So I just, yeah. And I wondered if that, you know, again, because I'm consuming new texts now um, that have been out in the last 10 years, as opposed to the last 20 years, that is one thing that we've talked about in terms of pacing. There's 24 episodes in a season as opposed to 10. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the storylines I think are a little bit easier to follow, but if you're looking at it from a composition standpoint, the English teacher in me knows that the way we get away with some things is that we have a moderate point, a weak point, and then a strong point. And so if you do that multiple times, you can have multiple moderate, multiple weak, multiple strong, and you don't know where you're going. So at the end, it all kind of averages out. So it's an interesting way to put that. And I wonder when, I wonder when in television we made that shift yeah. to episodes that are more like what we see today in, in our favorite shows. And what in the cultural zeitgeist kind of guided that? Is it uh, one of my favorite, somebody who was a, a guest on this podcast, Dr. Melissa Ames, she actually talked about the difference between pre 9 11. And post 9-11, when it came to uh, storytelling, and one, the kind of stories that we wanted to see were different. They were more escapist, is one of the Mm -hmm. conclusions that she drew. Mm -hmm. And also the nonlinear storytelling, as if, like, if we can just fix the loop, we can fix the thing that happened, because we all experience that trauma. And I wonder if we'll see something very similar with pre-pandemic production and post-pandemic production. So, yeah. Nonetheless, we can break it down um, scene by scene, but our first words, we talked about this. There is a look that well-behaved children, or that parents of well-behaved children give to the parents of the not-so-well-behaved. It says, you should learn to control your kids. After all, they're your responsibility. Of course, it was easy for Susan to feel smug with a daughter like Julie. She always brought home straight A's. She was helpful around the house. She was bright, affectionate, and considerate of others. To her mother's way of thinking, Julie was the perfect child. Unfortunately, Susan was about to find out that no such creature existed. So I want to start there. It mm-hmm. feels like a sick joke that Susan mm-hmm. gets the easiest kid. Yes. Well, Susan needs the easiest kid because of it. all of Susan's Susanisms. Like, like we know that Julie has taken the adult role in that mm-hmm. house pretty frequently, so... I don't know how Susan, I don't know how Susan as is would function with the Scavo kids. Oh gosh. Oh my gosh. Absolutely not. And the way that they, you know, kind of film it or they, the cinematography of the scene as Mary Alice is saying all these great things about Julie, it really is Julie cleaning up the messes Mm -hmm. of Susan. Mm -hmm. We see her pulling the Christmas tree uh, while Susan, like what, has a couple of ornaments in her hand. I mean, it's just this really it's a lot of weight. It's so much weight for Julie. And you see, I like the scene when I like the part where we see Susan, you know, sprawled on her bike with like mail everywhere, and Julie's tending to the poor mail delivery person that Susan has what like run into with her bike, and just there's there's mail everywhere, and and if you're that wow. mail person, you can't like I'm mad at Susan, but look at her daughter is helping me, and you know, so so at some point I'm like, okay, for the daughter's sake, I'm not gonna like give this woman the evil eye every time I deliver her mail, but right, you know, it's just it really it feels like a lot of Julie cleaning up Susan's yeah. messes, and yeah. so you know that that part was important for me, and I've had friends 
who are great parents and it feels like they have really hard kids. And I've had friends who feel like I feel like they have it so easy and I might be one of them. Um, and it's just, I think everybody needs to give themselves a break because yes, I think almost everybody is doing the best they can, including Susan. I argue she should do better, but it might be the best she can. It might, it might. I always feel like I, I've always said people do the best they can with what they know. Like yeah. thinking about even mistakes that my parents made when I was little, like people do, people do the best they can with what they know. Yeah. But if you are one of the people that is like, I'm doing everything I can and this just seems so hard, I just want you to feel seen because I want to acknowledge that I have experienced that. Like, wow, your kid is hard. I don't know what I would do. And I feel like you're doing everything right. (sighs) There for it. So Susan catches Julie and Zach kissing and then it leads to this whole fight about... Um, I'll see you Friday. What, what, what Friday? What are you, what are you talking about? And um, then Julie and Susan start fighting and they're, you know, Julie's like, you know what? I got to take the trash out. So again, it's this cleaning up after, mm-hmm. after her mother and taking on these really adult responsibilities. And Susan's like coming after her, you know, fighting with her and Lynette clocks it. And it's this moment where she looks at Susan and Mary Alice says, you know, that's the look that then the parent of the not so well-behaved child gives to the parent of the usually well-behaved child. And it says, welcome to the club. And I, I just need to ask, I mean, not, I'm not a parent obviously, but is it a competition? Because watching Lynette, watching Susan be smug, but then also watching Lynette be smug when we see somebody struggling with something we struggle with. Like, I I feel like I wish I would have seen more of a look of empathy right. rather than a look of, you know, I, for lack of a better word, competition. Yeah. And I will say that parents can be incredibly competitive. And I think you've experienced that from coaching sports, mm-hmm. um, that it's almost as if, it's just their child is just an extension of them and that look how great I am Mm -hmm. based on how my child is doing. And I've seen that be really, really toxic and really, really problematic. Um, I've also seen it the opposite way is like my kid does all these things. Look how great my kid is and the bragging. Fine. That's fine. But also I've seen it in this kind of sick way about you think you have it bad. I'm going to one up that bad. You know, and mm-hmm. I don't know what that is, if that is our, uh, if that is us doing that. But I've also, if, if that is us justifying, you know, whatever you've done, my kid, or whatever you've done or your kid has done, my kid has done better. And whatever your kid has been bad at, my kid has done worse. So now feel that for me. But I think the, the opposite side of that is I've really had parents who have been incredibly empathetic with me when I was the only parent to not send my kid to school in a yellow shirt that day. Or mm-hmm. I was the only parent who didn't remember that you needed to put a, a yellow apple or a red apple. And it was based on what month your child was born in. I mean, just I've been there and I've mm-hmm. been supported by other parents. So Yes, I think parents can be incredibly competitive in ways that are toxic. And I've also seen them show empathy that was above and beyond and and share with me things that they've done wrong that they would not, like, I wouldn't readily admit. And that was really comforting. 
I bet. I bet that was. <sighs> That's All tough, right. man. She's tough. Yeah. Okay, so next we head over to Gabby's and um, John's parents show up in the yard. Poor Carlos mm. is sitting there with his ankle monitor, so he can't, he doesn't even know what's going on. Outside doesn't exist for Carlos right now. Um, so they share with Gabby that John has decided not to go to college um, because he wants to expand his gardening business. So apparently John had a scholarship. Mm -hmm. We didn't know that, but I he did. And they would like Gabrielle to help them get John to go um, to college instead. So they didn't want Gabby involved, but now when they realize they, they can't reach their kid, they need Gabby's help. So I thought that was a really interesting scene. Um, I really enjoyed the, um, the, the domestication of Gabby in her appearance where they have her in jeans and, and a big jar of peanut butter walking around. So um, I, I enjoyed that. I also really loved in this scene that I felt like we hear Gabby saying, you know, I haven't seen him in, in, I, I can't remember if it was weeks or months mm -hmm. or whatever, but saying, you know, I really am trying for a clean break. And I, I really was proud of Gabby for trying to establish what I think was an appropriate boundary, right? Not even in a selfish way. I think it nope. was a super appropriate boundary and a clean break. And, um, I was really proud of her for that, but then you know, Helen basically threatens Gabby because they haven't gone to the police yet. But if she makes it clear that if they don't go, if, if Gabby doesn't help, they might go to the police. Yes. So. That was very clear and threatening. And also a scene that closes in inside itself. And I am there for that. Thank you for that, Mark Cherry. Mm -hmm. I appreciate it. Actually, I should, I should say the director and the writer. So Kevin and, Ar and uh, Arlene, you're doing great. Thank you. I appreciate that that was kind of an in-bottle scene. It's not going to go yes. back and forth 80 times. I appreciate that. Nope. Um, but they closed the loop. They closed the loop on that scene. And so it's it's clear that Gabby's going to have to do something and she's going to have mm -hmm. to go back and, and talk to John. And I agree with you that that was a boundary. Like, I should probably not see this person because it makes things worse and, and it doesn't resolve if I keep mm -hmm. seeing this person. So I appreciate that. Over at Lynette's, Parker has climbed the ladder to get up on top of the roof, and now he's too afraid to come down. Um, and yes, Tom's dad, at the same time, Rodney, arrives, and he's a traveling salesman. And he says, would you like me to give it a try, Lynette? I can I can try to get him down. And she's like, I'm all for it, because she's, ar she's already tried everything she knows. Um, mm -hmm. And Rodney's approach is to say only a little girl would be afraid to come down that ladder. Whew, so much anger. I thought I, I, I thought I had reached the pinnacle of mm. anger for a Scavo man, but um, nope, we still had, our ceiling hadn't been breached. Apple tree, anger. maybe not so far. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm. I like that misogyny straight out of the gate, Grandpa. That was, that was good stuff. And Lynette says yeah it was effective but she calls out the sexism of it i don't know that she's mm -hmm. going to punish it necessarily but thank you for giving it a name yes but but also my question if you're lynette and you're home by yourself with with your kids why mm -hmm. do you have a ladder outside up to the roof because i don't believe that those kids could drag the ladder and get it set up there i agree and i don't know if i just have an hoa who's like really a stickler or something but like we would get in trouble for having that and I feel 
they'll, they'll talk about HOAs at some point on Mysteria Lane. But so having a ladder out, I'm not sure. You're right. I don't know what the ladder is doing now. I don't think the kids could do it. So maybe we're supposed to suspend uh, disbelief. But I will say I have been shocked at things that children can do or find when they are motivated enough. And she has more children than I have. So she's outnumbered. She's outnumbered. They're both outnumbered. Oh my goodness. Okay. Um, so Bree and Rex are at home with at least six lawyers discussing the terms of their divorce. That just felt like a lot of lawyers to me. Sounds expensive. Mm-hmm. Would they also like would they, I know when I went through a divorce, I was not meeting with mm-hmm. lawyers at my own home. I met with my lawyer in his office. Is oh, this okay. a, is this a normal thing where the, the squad of lawyers would show up at a home? Because I don't know, that just doesn't, I mean, I mean maybe it's because of Rex's, um, you know, condition because he's still recovering. Mm, okay. But I don't know. It does seem I, like I, a specialty service. I would charge extra for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Rex doesn't want to fight. He, he doesn't want to fight. He wants to try to make amends, but, um, I think Bree preys on that weakness and comes out guns a blazing and wants the country club membership. Yeah. Because Rex hates buffets and he's terrible at tennis. Yes. Mm. Yes. Um, Susan is over at Paul's house and she insists that he supervise Zach and Julie if they're over here. And Paul reveals that he sold the house. So this is really a moot point. Um, Mm -hmm. Zach overhears and gets very angry and says that he wishes Paul had died instead of Mary Alice. That had to have been a pretty embarrassing situation for, for both Paul and Susan. I mean, it seemed super awkward. She tries to break the the awkwardness Tension. of it by saying, oh, so you're moving. Um, and I, <laughs> when you said that about parenting, when you see somebody else like going through a real parenting moment, that can be my way of handling those situations is like, man, why did we even think being pregnant was going to be fun? And then we had these kids, we thought the kids would be fun, you know, have, have kids. Mm-hmm. They say it'll be fun. They say kind of moment. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think I've done more, I think I've done just as much harm as I have good uh, with that approach. So I get it, Susan. Yeah. Well, let's head back over to the Scavo house. So they're off to a T-ball game, but of course someone has forgotten something. So um, they run back home and Lynette happens to walk in on Rodney and an associate said in air quotes, um, <laughs> Lois, going at it on the couch. Like they were having an afternoon delight is what now, was happening. I can't tell if we catch them like a mid foreplay or if they're done and still foreplaying after or after playing. It- it know. was that because remember okay, you find Parker found stockings. the house. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I have a question about that. Okay. Were they on like a strip scavenger hunt? Because <laughs> Parker wasn't in the living room where they were. I can't take off my pantyhose while walking. I I can't I she was wearing pantyhose under pants too, and I just was like, oh, that's that I so did not block that. Oh, I did not. She had on slacks, it. which I know that's I know that is a normal thing for people to do. But for me, I would be, I would melt to the ground. I would sweat through all the layers and be so uncomfortable. Like even even when I go 
you know, for a run in the winter and I have to wear two layers of pants. Mm -hmm. It's too much for me. Um, but, but I just question where, where the hell did Parker find those pantyhose? It felt like it was kind of like the laundry room or the mud room coming off the kitchen. That that's like, that's the, the path I see him taking, but, but again, that makes Um, me, yeah, there's so, I have so many questions. So strips, I believe it was a strip scavenger hunt. That is my theory. Um, Also, Lois, maybe with the, you have a lovely home. I I know you're trying to break the ice, but um, yikes. No kidding. There's not really a way to be in that situation, right? Like you just blend into the the carpet or something make your exit literally try to like pull a simpsons like that's melt. exactly what i thought of oh my gosh i don't know where you start and i begin and that's not necessarily the best thing for two co-hosts but it really <laughs> is exactly where my mind was that's hilarious yeah we're sharing a brain it's clear oh um back at brie and rex's brie has demanded uh, uh rex has demanded the good china just because brie loves it Brie wants the timeshare in Aspen, where she clearly admits she will never go. So it's like- Wait, pause. No? Pause. I have a perfect plan. Okay. Brie should give Rex Gabby's china. Because remember, <laughs> Gabby stashed her china. Yes. Because I don't believe that Rex would actually know the difference. I don't believe that Rex would actually take said china out of the box. Fair. Or so I just called it for you, Brie. Give him Gabby's China. We can make it worse. She can go to the toy store and buy some fake China and oh, give it to him as like the... a tea party set. Yes. You can buy some like halfway decent faux porcelain. Yes. And it, yes, and it, yes, it, yes. I like it. Smart. And Brie says that she doesn't want, or she doesn't really want the, the timeshare in Aspen. She just wants revenge. That's what she wants. This is what she's after. And that maybe she should have an affair. And Rex kind of scoffs. But then he says, oh, like with the pharmacist, like it's this moment. And she said, would that hurt you, Rex? And he said it would devastate him. And that seemed vulnerable and endearing. And I want her to do it. But do you believe him? He's, we have literally never seen him be nice to her on this entire show until the last two episodes. So like, do you think it really would devastate him because he loves his wife? Or do you think he just wants to win? I would argue based on something that we're going to get to later on in this episode, I believe that it's more about the winning absolutely i think it's a piss and mark your territory kind of thing i think it's um it's an issue of his masculinity and that it would yeah it would offend his masculinity for his wife to have an affair revenge affair whim affair whatever Mm -hmm. i think also would be it's not gonna fix it because now instead of one egregious wrong you have two like it does they don't it's not like we're doing math with integers and they're going to cancel themselves out. Like that's, that's not how, that's not going to solve it guys. And two negatives making a positive in English. You're not, not wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not, not going to go. Yes. That's good. Um, Over at Susan, Susan uses the extension to listen to Julie and Zach on the phone. And that might be the most 2005 thing about this episode. Yes. That actually also feels like a 1994 thing. My dog literally just ate an entire Costco-sized container of spreadable butter. That's what that interruption was about. Is everybody okay? We'll see. Oh, no. this Don't let this be a bongo situation where we never see the dog again. 
I guess that's what happens when we leave the butter on the counter. It's like having children. Mm-hmm. I used to Certainly be able is. to leave out certain creams and things like that. And then mm. Addie got into them one time and she's like, mommy, I'm burning. I'm like, yeah, it's cellulite cream, man. <laughs> like, that's what it'll do. <laughs> it's uh, melting your flesh. <laughs> Addie. Oh it means God. it's working on a child <laughs> with no cellulite. I really don't even want to go downstairs for the next three to four hours. Well, good. Well, I don't know what has happened in the downstairs of my house. Well, good, because we're only on like page three. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. right. Yes. Oh, so, um, yes, I agree that that is the most 2005 thing. Also, it's from my experience, it's also a very 1990 thing. Yeah. Because for sure. Um, did you ever get caught doing that? So on an extension? I did, but and it wasn't like it would be like a conversation that I would even know anything about. The one, the the time I remember doing it, it was to my older sister. Now, keep in mind, my sisters are fifteen and sixteen years older than me, so mm-hmm. they were real working women and had me at their house, and I, you know, was five to ten maybe, and so they're mm-hmm. talking to their friends or coworkers on the phone and. I just wanted to know what they were talking about, even though I wouldn't possibly know. And I can't, I can't imagine it was very dishy. Um, I kind of wanted to know if anybody would know that I picked up the phone. I think that's a testing boundaries kind of thing. For sure. And for Susan, it's, you're taking, she's going to take this out of context a little bit um, and pretend she knows more than she does and totally get caught with the tea kettle. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that would and usually... probably get some hot water on herself. Oh so. gosh, can you imagine? Like she would—that's how she would burn down her own house. Is yes. I was trying to listen in on my daughter's phone call, and I forgot that I left a tea kettle. I have to say, the adorable nature of having an actual tea kettle—I am there for. But mm-hmm. I make my tea in the Keurig. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Of course you do. Oh makes perfect sense. Well, so we see Brie at a diner, which is the last place we think we would see Brie. Yes. And George just happens to be walking outside. Sure so, he was. Um, sure he was. So he comes in and does something really creepy with the mm. silverware. Yes. And I realize I need to use a different adjective than creepy because I've overused it already. In I episode. legit say creepy George moment in my notes. Like it's a whole segment yes. now. Super creepy George. Um, so we, we see George kind of taking on that friend role with Brie where, um, Brie shares how she met Rex. They met at a young Republicans meeting about big government gun control and of illegal immigration. A trifecta. Um, so oh. Brie realizes at that conference that she's supposed to be with Rex. Um, so she still feels that way, but she shares with George that she doesn't know how she's going to accomplish that when she doesn't trust him, which, yes, yeah. you're right. Um, so I, this is where George, I feel, shows that he really cares for Brie as a person because he he says, if Rex is a good person and loves you, you should do whatever you can to forgive him. Mm-hmm. And then he creeps it up by saying, that's what I would do if I could get a good person to love me. So. Mm just a little weird. And then Brie goes home and tiptoes upstairs and we see Rex, you know, awake and realizing how late it is when his wife has come home. Absolutely. And the creepiness of George cannot be understated. 
right? Like it, it's there. However, it is interesting to me that he says if he could get a good person to love him, he would do whatever needed to be done. So Brie, if you really think he's a good person, you have to do whatever you can to make your relationship successful. And to some extent, because I'm going to juxtapose it with a scene later, I don't believe him then, but I believe him later that that was his intention. And so we'll we'll circle back to that. But I, I wanted to say, I, I don't believe him in this moment because he's creepy georging it up. But then yeah, later, I, I almost do for a different reason. So when we get there, if I don't, remind me to circle back. Okay. But I do feel like he was really, like, tra- like being kind in his words. Yes. Which, yeah. Anyway. Go on. Go on. No. Tell us what's next. I agree. Um, back at Lynette's, Rodney is trying to sneak up to his room without seeing Lynette. Uh, and she says, it's not a very big house. You're going to have to talk to me eventually. And I think we've all been there. And he and he yeah. says, you're right. I apologize for being seen doing this. I don't apologize I'm for doing this. I'm sorry I got caught. I'm exactly. not sorry for what I did. I'm sorry I got caught. I thought you'd be out for the afternoon as opposed to any genuine, or I'm sorry I made you feel uncomfortable even. Um, mm-hmm. it's, I am sorry I got caught. You're spot on. You're totally right about that. Mm-hmm. And Lynette says, you should apologize for a lot more than that. You know, how could you do this to Allison? And Rodney says that he's stayed married to someone he doesn't love because he made a vow, but he's not going to discuss it with Lynette. She can't do anything to him anyway. <laughs> oh, but she can, buddy. Just wait. <laughs> oh, those are fighting words. Um, and Lynette does. She throws him out. And when Tom gets home, he sees him sitting out there with his, his belongings. And Tom said, hold on, I'll, I'll talk to her. Um, mm-hmm. Lynette has poured him a drink. She has completely prepared herself for having yeah. to break it to Tom that his dad is having an affair. And Tom says that he's not surprised because his father has been having affairs for years and I figured he wasn't anymore because he's so much older. Honestly, it's kind of impressive. And now you're in deep shit. Yeah, yeah. You done did it this episode, Tom. Um, Tom says, I will talk to him. I will go put him in his room. We'll clear this whole thing up. And Lynette says, no, he's not coming back in my house. What, What do you not understand about this? And Tom says, well, it's my house, too. And Lynette's like, oh, we'll see. And then Tom gets kicked out. Cut to the curb. Yes. Cut to the curb again with Tom and Tom's dad. So um, good for you, Lynette, yeah. for kicking him out. Yeah. I'm, I'm here for that. Also, um, I love that when he walks in and she's making his drink, she's stirring it with his with her finger. Like, she's literally... <laughs> I have to rewind it. She's like holding, it looked like an old fashioned or something. I think she's got her finger stirring it. I'm like, oh my God, get a spoon. What are you doing? I agree. Or like a straw. Like I mix my drinks with the straw, but I guess I- Or swirl it. Yeah. Do you think Lynette has a straw in her house? Oh gosh. How do you not have a straw in your house? Do you not have a straw in your house? How do you have a ladder right next to your roof with three- boys that get gum in each other's hair Fair. how do you have gum you gave them gum <laughs> yes. these are your choices yes oh yes. gosh so anyway i enjoyed the stirring the drink with the finger also um i wanted to punch tom this is my want when i want to punch tom in the face moment of this episode there's a segment is when he's impressed by it because that's 
just so damaged. It's so damaging. And to know that like, that's how his, that's how Tom's mom has been living for most of her married life. And he's not irate about it. He's impressed that his dad's still doing it. I just, that's a no for me, buddy. And again, there's this responsibility aspect, kind of going back to the title of the episode as being your fault. And that's kind of where Lynette is. She's like, oh, so you're the victim here because you're honoring your vow? Really? <laughs> that's an interesting way to interpret those vows, I suppose. Yeah. I, yeah. I wasn't there at their, if they use Second Corinthians, I got to say, that's an interesting way to. Um, <laughs> I, I wasn't there. I don't know what their vows were. They are Catholic. I don't know um, if Second Corinthians is the the chosen mass for that, but. I got nothing. I like your secular tie in there on that. That was good. People (sighs) applauded at my wedding because the, while spiritual, it was about 17 minutes long. People got to get to that reception damn quick. Ours was 11 minutes. and (gasps) I've never met somebody who beat me at that. It would have been under 10, but our, um, our, minister who is now actually I had his daughter in my class last year and I was his first wedding ever um he whipped out the lord's prayer if he would have not done the lord's (laughs) prayer we would have been under 10 minutes the the limo wasn't there to take us yet we we weren't planning to receive anybody at the church we were going to do it at the reception because we wanted to get get everything moving but the the limo wasn't even there we actually had to stall for time so we came back in and greeted and and um um, like dismissed every row and still we had time. So oh, wow. that's impre- that, that's what people want when they come to a wedding. Right. Right. They want to quick, see the bride, do the thing, do the kiss, do maybe some candles or some sand, but let's get to the food and the drink and the cake and the dancing. That's what people, that's why people come. 17 minutes, 11 minutes. If you uh, respond in the comments and tell us that yours was quicker, Hats off to you. We can't wait to celebrate yeah. your short ass ceremony to get you to a reception. Yes, yeah. Right. And also, if you're going to respond, tell us what kind of cake you had. Oh, okay. my groom's cake was carrot and it was a picture of Will Ferrell with the cowbell. So you win. Share with us what you're You was. just win. Go, yeah, go ahead. Try to top that, viewer, listeners. <laughs> I can't, I can't wait to see. Um, that sounds like the kind of cake that they might have at John's apartment, which is where we oh, see yeah. Gabby in the next yeah. scene. Love that segue. Yeah. <laughs> That was good. That was good. So um, Gabby goes to visit John at his new uh, bachelor pad, non, non-collegiate frat house. And John gets so excited because mm-hmm. he thinks she's come there to continue their affair. So he's quickly cleaning up things and then pulls her into a hug. And that was real awkward to watch. But um, yeah, so he's, he shares with Gabby that he's decided to expand his business because an opportunity came up. And, and then shares that the opportunity is that Carlos can no longer offer Gabby security. Mm, right. And he proposes to Gabby and whew, that I, I, my first thought was, I don't, I don't imagine that place smells very good. Oh gosh. No. I thought of like, I looked at all those cans of like yes. half drink or completely drink soda. I'm like, you had to get up to go get another can of soda or whatever it was. Why did you not take the can with you? Throw it in yes. the garbage as you replace it with another can. I don't understand. Yes. And I can still, I can still conjure up the smell of fraternity house. Yes, ma'am. Um, and all fraternity houses, like, Every fraternity house at Oregon State. <laughs> smelled, uh, are you throwing up in your yes, mouth? Right I can still I, smell it. 
every single one. And it didn't matter if it was, you know, the, the Alpha Gamma Rho house with the, with the kids that were, you know, doing cowboy stuff and 4-H and whatever, or like any other, it didn't matter. They all smelled the same and I can still conjure up that smell. And I bet you that apartment smelled just like it because how many kids are living there? Mm-hmm. There were a whole lot of boys, a whole lot three. of cans. I'm surprised he had so, his own room to take her to. Same. What apartment same. has three bedrooms that they could afford? Right. Ooh, probably right. one bathroom. A little gross. Thank no. you for thank you for all of that. Because if you can't <laughs> taste that in your mouth, it, I don't know that you've ever been in a boy's. I okay. You're right. We got to move on. Stop. Yeah, move on. Yeah, move on. Who? Yeah. Proposes- well, go to Julie. Ju- Julie's cleaner. Oh, she is so clean, and she keeps everything clean. Um, mm-hmm. Julie is annoyed that Susan is going to be chaperoning the dance, and when Susan says, you know. Um, uh, Mrs. Vanda can't beg me. Like Julie's like, who are you trying to bluff? This is yeah. ridiculous. Um, nope. Susan tries to get Julie to open up about any secrets she may have. And we know that Julie has at least one because on the phone, she promises that she will keep Zach secret and Julie mm-hmm. won't budge. She says, yes, mom, I tell you everything. And that's just not true. And this would be a good point for her to call Susan out about picking up the phone if she knew it. So I don't believe Julie knows that Susan yeah, has. I agree. She got, she like, I, I would have thought for sure that that's how you get caught. Um, mm-hmm. And Julie's savvy enough to have figured that out. But yes, I believe we're supposed to suspend disbelief and that Julie does not know that her mom was listening in on the extension. It could be that she was so enthralled with her young love situation that she forgot to be her ever vigilant self. Mm. And cognitive dissonance. We've dealt with that before, right? Is that I need to believe that my mom doesn't know about this because otherwise it just puts everything into a tailspin. I got I got enough going on right now. Okay. So I'm here for that that line of thinking. You know, my cult and my scam obsession and everything I watch has something to do with that. <laughs> and when you're yes. like, this person is an idiot for not knowing that. Nope. I think they were experiencing cognitive dissonance. <laughs> Yes, agreed. And ontological security that I need to believe this. This is what I need to believe. Yes. You want to take us over to Zach's? Where are we now? Oh, yeah, yeah. So we're we're at Zach's getting ready for the dance. And Paul is showing him how to put on a tie, but it feels a little bit like he is tightening a noose around his son's neck. I was exceptionally uncomfortable with watching this sequence. Um, Paul learns that Zach has been talking to Julie about, about his memories, mm. which as he presses Zach, he, he realizes that Zach remembers lots of blood, mom screaming and Dana. And he shares that he remembers killing Dana. So mm. this, this scene with the tie gave me the jeebies. Like it wasn't good. It was on the same level of malevolence, I think as the, the feeding, the potatoes um, scene. Oh, but yes. Paul is just a Psycho. scary, yeah, he, he really is a scary, all the vibes, right? Like, he definitely yes. is capable of doing something. Um, we also learned that at the dance, Paul is also chaperoning. And what are the odds? <laughs> of what course. are the odds? He doesn't look like much so... of a joiner. No, right. And big plot hole here. There should have been some high school teachers in the writer's room because I can tell you, I had never, ever attended a high school dance that looked like this, where it's a bunch of couples dancing. Oh, yes. Um, usually at a dance, it's either a bunch of kids grinding in the center 
or a bunch of girls clustered and boys on the wall. Like yes. this is not what a high school dance looks like. And Brie dancing while serving punch. <laughs> I need that to be a, a gift. Yes. Like I'm here for that. Like her little like shoulder shimmy while she's, I, I love it. I want more of that. It looked perfect to me. Like she would not, yeah. not in, and not in a, I'm trying to be the cool hot mom way that gives me no, real She problems. had the music in her. Yeah. She had the music in her. Yes. Like she seemed not awkward, not just, it, it just not awkward, not cool. She's right. Just right. Yeah. The Goldilocks yeah, for sure. fallacy, right? Yes. Um, so yes. She could not stop the music from moving through her soul. Um, Rex apparently has to do his own picking up of pharmaceuticals, and I am absolutely not there for that. Brie would absolutely have been doing all of those things. She already has been at the pharmacy. That's kind of how we got in the situation. But Rex goes to the pharmacy and tells George that Brie is only using him to settle a score with him. And there's this exchange where George says she wouldn't do that. She's a lady. And he said, right, a beautiful, classy lady. They usually end up with doctors, not pharmacists. And I've got to stop it right there. Give us the truth bomb right here. Thank you. First of all, what beautiful, classy women want is a supportive, loving partner who doesn't want them to have an affair because he loves them, not because it would offend his masculinity and exhibit a, a black yes, mark on him as a person, right? Yes. Also, from a job perspective, I yes. I did some deep dive, gotta say, um, 170000 to 200000 depending on where you live, is about the national average for, a, I believe, a family doctor. And I believe that's what Rex is. I don't feel like they ever talk about him specializing. I don't, I don't no. feel like there's any talk. He's definitely not a surgeon, right? So no. working, working basically, you know, nine to five type hours. Yeah, you'd be yeah. on call sometimes, but about 170 to 200000 a year versus 130 to 160 a year as a pharmacist. So if this is about fi- financial means, it's not that those aren't different, but I would say that, you know, pharmacists are going to work longer hours, most likely. Family doctors are going to mm-hmm. kind of have a nine to five. Most pharmacists, like, I guess it depends. Are you going to do a community pharmacy? Or are you going to be in like a hospital setting? Then you're, you know, that, that would be different, but then you'd be paid differently. So if this is a financial situation, I'm just saying, looking at those numbers, I'm not compelled that Brie would have married somebody who was making 40, between 10 and $40,000 more. And that would be the deciding factor in her choosing a spouse. Yeah. I don't believe that. I agree. Um, So really, I I just, it felt like, it it felt like where Rex was trying to go with that is like working, or like blue collar versus white collar. And it's so elitist and gross. He treated him like he was- Hired help. Right. Like the president of the the company talking to a lowly cashier, a part-time cashier. That's the vibe that I feel like Rex, or like yes, the separation that Rex was trying to make between the level of his position and the level of George's position. Why would she want you when she can have me? It's it, right. They're just it. they're yeah. It was super. It was super ick. Rex, it feels stupid anyway. Um, it feels you know whatever. Um, if it's about the type of person who becomes a pharmacist versus the type of person who becomes a doctor, I've known both. I've liked both better in different contexts. 
it's mm-hmm. if, you know shitty people are shitty people man and Re- rex you yeah. are a shitty person right now you're a shitty you're an absolute certified shithead rex. yeah and, and if you really are that superior you wouldn't have to point it out mm-hmm. it just mm-hmm. it would just be a fact but um let me see oh there it is this is why yes. rex is stupid this is the next reason yeah. rex yeah. is stupid you are yes. messing with the person who makes your pills for you that you need to live. It is worse than screwing around with the waiter and expecting them not to spit in your food. Yes. Yes. Just Rex, idiotic. you big dummy. Go you to a different dummy. pharmacy. You the person mixing your chemicals to accidentally slip and give you two parts to one part instead of one part to one part. Fairview is not that small that they couldn't possibly have had a different pharmacy somewhere. Yeah. This isn't Mayberry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, good luck. Good luck with your prescription upgrade, Rex. Right, and it's gonna go. I feel it's gonna go well for you. Ugh. And again, this is a second creepy George moment, right? He yes. has decided yeah. Rex isn't a good person because when they're having that exchange, he said, "You know, she is beautiful, she is classy, but she's not very perceptive. She thinks you're a good person, and you're not." He yes. Rex is not a good person. George has decided it, and for me. This makes me think of the diner scene a little bit differently because I didn't believe him. I didn't believe that he genuinely wanted Brie to make it work with Rex. I really didn't. However, it feels like this is a turning point for George where he's like, you are not a good person and she can't see it yet, but I'm going to help her see it. And that that something snaps here. Or mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a rope where we're just putting more fibers and we make the rope thicker or mm-hmm. if it's the puzzle and this is the last puzzle piece but I feel like this is a turning point um I agree and I feel a very strong chain someone up in your basement kind of vibe or like have them in your closet put them in a hole kind of vibe come I I feel that George is about to unleash on Fairview that's that's my prediction and again remember I've seen this Mm -hmm. but I don't remember literally anything so can't wait. Can't wait to see where this goes. Take us back to the dance. Yeah, so they're playing Dust in the Wind, which um, I, what year is this song even from? Ooh, um, I didn't look that one up. Yeah, I was, when they, when that came on, I was like, come on, come on. So Paul asks Susan to dance, which is cringy on a, maybe like 165 levels. Like, first of all, chaperones at a dance. If you yes. want to be invited back, if you're. If you're going to um, try to be a chaperone at your kid's dance, you should be seen and not heard. Yes. Like, I don't normally say this to anyone, but if you want to ever be asked back, fade into the woodwork. Yes. Don't don't come out onto the dance floor. Um, also, Susan, you should keep at least six foot social distance from Paul at all times because he's a creep. He's an absolute creep. So... Um, that for me, that was a big nope. I wish Susan would have not done that, but she did. She shares that she eavesdrop mm-hmm. also scary. You don't want to give this man any more information. Mm-hmm. She spills what she heard. Not only that she did eavesdrop, but she shares, she spills the tea. And of course, Paul tells her it was an accident. And then Susan, come on, asks for more details. Are you crazy? Mm-hmm. This is not your friend. He's not going to confide in you. This is, this is not your moment to work on getting more pieces of the story, Susan. I agree. It's an oddly intimate-ish 
moment where he's kind of pulling her closer, that's creeping me out. It also yes. feels like this level of I need to get more information out of this person, so I'm going to let them be inappropriate with me. And that like is- Tanaka. Yeah. It's, to, it's Tan- back to Tanaka. The ass grabber. Ugh. So we have Paul the the ass grabber the slave lower trade back. worker. Yeah. That that is what this yeah. leads to. This is the, the this yeah. is the the slippery slope that leads to yes. slave labor. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Where were we? We still we, okay. So we finished at the dance. So now it's time to go home. So. But outside the dance, right? So Paul and Zach yeah. are getting into the car, and Zach says he's sorry that he told Julie about Dana, and Paul says that he handled it with Susan. But he needs to talk to Zach because his memories have been lying to him. And he says, Zach, you didn't kill anyone. Dana is very much alive. Yeah. So is your brain um, bursting? Like, are you breaking? Yeah. So who, Paul, who are you lying to? Mm -hmm. Susan or Zach? Like that's. Because he lets Susan believe everything she knows, which was limited, is true. But that yes. it was an accident that Zach did kill Dana. And right. but it was an accident. You have to understand. Yes. I, so yes. Yeah. Somebody's Who's not being getting, lied to here. Yeah, somebody's not getting the truth. I feel like that that story point is like bubbling over. I need, I need more, but I'm afraid. I need more, but I'm afraid of it. This is the mystery check-in. Um, but we'll go. We'll go back over to John's and John's parents are, or sorry, back to Gabby's. John's parents are over again. Man, they've just, they're almost like the episode with, with um, Carl. We have exhausted how many times you should have been at Gabby's house three times ago. Yes. Yes. Um, they want grandma's ring back. So here's the thing. If John, we don't see it because it's off camera, but John proposed to Gabby. Gabby's looking at the ring. She took the ring with her. That seems to mean yeah. you accepted the proposal. Right. Um, I just don't know I, how that scene ended. I'm interested. But she has the ring and says, I fully intend to give it back. And I don't intend to marry him, obviously. How did he get the ring, though? Don't you normally keep that in a safe? So how it went with my in-laws, I guess, when my when my husband, was my boyfriend at the time, um, said that he was going to propose, it was, I do have some diamonds laying around. And then, like, from another, it was from, like, his grandma's ring. And then they went to the jeweler. They, they went to the jeweler. The jeweler took it out. And then he designed a ring for, for me from diamonds that they had. So I don't think that that is necessarily, like... Um, you know, if it if it's not the ring that you would want that person to have, like you can use pieces of it to make something, and that can lessen your cost. Um, but how does John just have access to this to be able to like take it to the yeah? I wouldn't have given collegiate frat house. I wouldn't like have how? given it to my 17, 18 year old kid. No. It, it's like I wouldn't imagine that they did give it to him. I imagine he, he took it. it. Okay, because I was going to yeah. say my husband was thirty, but it was I yeah I believe it was like in a safety deposit box somewhere, and they had to go get it. And you wouldn't just do that to give to your kid. I mean, honestly, kids do stupid stuff <laughs> when they're young. Right. So you wouldn't necessarily give them a family heirloom ahead of time. It would be when you need it, just so you know we have it. Right. Maybe that would be a conversation, right. but I think you're right. So, and he's not living at home. Yeah. So how did no. he get this? I agree. That's my question. So Helen threatens and gets angry and goes to the car and Bob kind of stands there talking to Gabby in a 
almost like he's admiring her kind yes. of way and basically shares that he wishes he would have made a mistake like her and he's just middle-aged like that eh, like I'm done with our girl Gabby being objectified like that right and I wrote that in my notes too is that I'm not sure if Gabby is flattered by this maybe just a little or if she's trying to ease the tension in the moment or if she feels that her sins are so bad she should have to be yeah objectified subjected to a bit of creepy behavior but yeah I feel icky in this moment I and you know what it's like dad's not mad about the statutory rape because she's hot yeah I wish I had I wish I had had that experience and like it seemed like he yeah is somewhat envious of his son it seems like this is saying something about how he's unhappy with the way his life ended up um Mm -hmm. they really do paint the paint Helen as kind of a shrew in this but my kid was raped yeah (laughs) I mean yeah you should be angry you should be a level 10 angry I don't that's not that's not time for a mom to be cool yeah I don't, it's crazy. And, and for me, the, the thing about Bob, yeah, it's an excuse for him. What you said, I'm, I'm, he, you know, uh, Ab, see now I'm stuttering. You, you had a point, Sophie. Um, Gabby <laughs> says you're very sweet. And he says, Bob says, I'm a little sweet, but mostly I'm just middle-aged. And you picked up on that. I think that's mm-hmm. an, a great excuse for being a creep, not letting him off the hook, but it seems that Bob has always been responsible which is kind of what this episode has been pointing us to. And now he kind of regrets it. And it seems kind of similar to Tom's dad, Rodney. Like, I've been responsible. Mm -hmm. I've stayed with my wife. Yeah, not really. When you say and do the things that these men are doing, it negates anything, any credit you should have gotten for having done the thing. Right. So, again, I think that regret can be just as bad as regretting something that we did was irresponsible as regretting that we did the responsible thing. Both are a choice and both can lead to regret. So it kind of feels like a damned if you do situation, but it doesn't make me feel less icky and I don't find Bob sympathetic anymore. Mm -mm, mm -mm. If I did, I don't think I really did, but nonetheless. Um, To circle back to the dog and the butter. Yeah. I'm not in trouble for that because I just received a, Grapefruit juice mimosa. How so, sweet. Cheers. Thank you. I don't have one with me, but maybe I'll go make one. So <laughs> someday we'll get to do this in person, I think. Yes. So yes. we'll Agreed. do it on location. Maybe, like a, maybe, maybe we can broadcast from an axe throwing or a, a smash room. I was thinking building. when I finished, I, I'm two thirds done with my dissertation. I was thinking about how I wanted to celebrate and I thought about doing like a mimosa bar somewhere. Here for it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in. Okay, so back to Zach and Paul. Um, Zach shares that he's willing to keep the secret mm-hmm. about Dana, but we're not moving. Huh. So we're back to blackmail, punctuated with a creepy smile. I feel like it's been a minute since we've had any blackmail go on in this show, but we're back. And the power shift, right? Yeah. When you were talking about Paul and the tie, he's in power. He's doing the controlling. He's the one tightening the tie. And now we have Zach, and I'm going to tighten the tie. I'm going to be the person who is in trouble, who's in trouble, or sorry, who who can threaten you with getting you in trouble. And Zach says, you know, why did you even tell me? Like, why did you cho- choose this moment? And Paul says, I, you know, nobody should think that they killed someone. And he said, mm, I'm not. 
not sure. Zach's not convinced. He's like, maybe you just don't want me running my mouth. But I, yeah, I'll keep your secret. But why? So why isn't Zach like, I need to meet my sister? Hmm. You know what I mean? Fair. Like, if he does believe him, like, wouldn't the first thing out of your mouth be, where is she? What is she doing? Is she okay? Can I meet her? Well, since we didn't get to see what or hear what they talked about, maybe Could all of those, maybe all of those things are handled in the car and we just don't know about them yet. But you're right. He's not, it doesn't feel like. If, your first thing yeah. wouldn't be like, I'll keep your secret. That's not, that wouldn't be your first response to it. But it's not, I will keep your secret. It's we're not moving. Yeah. It's a quid pro quo. So I think, I think Zach's got a little creepy George chain you in my basement. Again, apple tree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, over at Lynette and Tom's Lynette apologizes for throwing uh, Rodney out of the house. Tom tells her, but wait, oh. before she apologizes, she acts like she's falling asleep, but can't. Uh, and so yes. Tom, Tom's like, what is it? Yes. Like, she's waiting. She's waiting to be invited. That's true. To give her opinion. I thought that was super interesting. And they have a lot anyway. of their, yeah, they have a lot of their conversations in bed. And I have to imagine that that is because you never get any time to yourself because of no. all the children. So the only time you can talk to your spouse when everybody else is asleep and you're exhausted too, but this is the time we have to deal with this. And it's I, the eye of the hurricane. The only time that they have any peace is the eye of the hurricane uh, where they're resting for the next round of disaster. Yes. Um, and the exchange between the two is yes, I am a, I am sorry that I threw your father out of the house. I don't know if she is and I wouldn't be. Oh, Tom tells her that he be. that he gets that Lynette loves Allison, loves Tom's mom, but it's her decision. Not untrue, I will say. You're right. That was your mom's decision. And Lynette says, but I don't think I'm upset about that. I'm upset that this doesn't seem to phase you. And what's going to happen when you've been a traveling salesman for 40 years? And in terms of, that's ridiculous. I'm not my father. And Lynette says, well, that's good because I'm not your mother. She Burn. shares that if that happens, she will take the kids and they will never see him again. So this is a bad mom moment on my part. It, it has no reflection on my marriage or my child. But if I'm Lynette, I don't think that that's what I would say. I think I would say, I will leave and you can enjoy parenting our children by yourself. That's what I think is going to get results with Tom. Tom is not the person, I, I, he loves his children, but he could not be with them as no, much as he would need to be if he yeah. were co-parenting or single parenting. Not possible. She'd be better off saying, I would leave and we will have 50-50 custody because yes. that means... 50% of his time, oh, God, he yes. would have to figure out how to be a parent. Yes. Um. So back to what you were saying about it's true. It is Allison's choice. So just because somebody lets you take advantage of them mm. doesn't mean that you're not, you shouldn't be held accountable for being a shithead. Yep. Just because someone lets you. Like, I know we, you teach people how to treat you and all of that. But, like, people 
who do crappy things shouldn't be I can't remember I can't think of the right word for it but they shouldn't be excused exempt from being response they shouldn't be excused for shitty behavior just because people let them do it like right you're still a shitty person you're the shitty person doing the shitty things yeah being dishonest being dishonest is still dishonest now if they have an open marriage that's 100% different but when we're using the verbiage in the show having an affair that to me says like a non-consensual additional sexual like additional yeah there is no sexual yeah. situation within a marriage like that's that's very different from an open marriage that's so. not presented here at all it is no and it, but maybe open marriage wasn't a thing back when the show was written I don't I don't know because mm-hmm. I was not really thinking that way to like even notice that I don't think our but, cultural um, context would be that either so I don't think yeah I think but that I just that only we would see that in 2022 or 2018 or whatever. But I don't think that viewers of this text or consumers of this text in 2005 would have had the cultural context for that on a grand scale. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. Thank you for for circling back to that. I think I was in Lynette's consciousness when I did that in the same way that she says, I'm sorry I threw your father out of the house. It's not Rachel saying that. That's Lynette. Because um, I'm not sorry that she threw him out of the house. No, I'm glad. Couldn't I'm care. glad. Couldn't care. So you teach people how to treat you. You you establish what is okay for you, and if it's if it's not okay, if it doesn't fall within what's okay, you don't have to house it in your where you live. Yeah, you don't, so and you don't have to give it any real estate in your mind. I agree. Nope. Nope. Which brings so Tom us... goes downstairs and meets up with his dad in the kitchen and mm. um, shares that. There's something that Lynette doesn't know about and he's worried about what will happen if she finds out. So, of course, I'm assuming that he had his own extramarital affair and I'm sure it's something different because, you like, it's never, I feel with this show, it's never what they set you up to thinking Assume. it should be. Right. So, I'm excited to find out what Tom did that was bad. And I think that this is also like a jab on the writers, right? Um, I don't know if the series, I could look it up, but I'm not going to. Um, If the series had been picked up for a second season by this point, it's the 13th episode, but it feels like it's dropping seeds. And is that something that we can explore this season? Or are you going to have to buy the show and give us another season in order to explore that? So I wonder if this also panned, not panders, I don't know. It, um asks viewers if you care do you care to know what that is and and what the response was and honestly in 2005 I don't know how they gauge that except with test audiences nowadays you can see Twitter blowing up hey what's Tom you know what's Tom talking about and then as a writer back or the producers can go back to the writers and say hey people are intrigued by this or they hated that so move away um which -hmm. I think we've seen in a couple of things right Carlos like we've seen him be borderline abusive to the point where we're gonna like we're going to hate him and then Mm -hmm. back off a little bit um so i'm i'm interested to see what that will what that comes to later on yeah yeah um gabby returns the engagement ring to john um and he's upset visibly makes makes perfect sense and you know, she says, he says, what are you going to do? He can't, you know, he's going to jail or this or that. It's not going to be the life that you had or that you, or all the values that you said or were linking to him. And I can actually give you more than him now, or at least the same. I don't know if that's necessarily true. Um, But 
Gabby has a moment where she says, you know, every once in a while, even I want to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, um, you know, she says like, where are we going to live? What are we going to, what are we going to do? And he's like, well, we'll live here. We'll be poor, but happy. And she says, <laughs> I've already tried that. Like it doesn't, it doesn't work for me. Love isn't enough. So I think that's, I think Gabby grew up a little bit in this moment. Um, and then we watch her doing what we know breaks her heart. So we know she does still care about him because she says, basically, I don't love you. You're a sweet, dumb toy. Mm-hmm. And he obviously gets very upset and walks away. But then we see her face and we can tell that this literally crushes her to say this to him. And I don't, I, I would argue that for some people, it would crush them to just be unkind to another person. But mm-hmm. I think it crushed Gabby to say this because it's the opposite of how she really feels. Like, I think we realize here that she actually maybe did really care about him. Yeah. Um, but what troubled me a lot in this um, whole scene was he continues to call her Mrs. Solis. I know the power dynamic Ugh. couldn't be more clear to me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I don't, I don't love that. So thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. I didn't want <laughs> because it, it, it's important to point out, like, I keep talking about this power dynamic that is damaging him, and it he doesn't even seem to acknowledge that. Like, it is so uneven that I don't even call you by your first name. Right. This is not sustainable yeah. at all. Can you just see that happening? It's like, um, Mrs. Solis, do you want breakfast like they're together and like living this together he would you're so hot you're so hot oh my god okay all right ew we can move on take Sip us take us somewhere else <laughs> because mrs solis would you like a mimosa you can stop yeah. you can stop calling me mrs solis i've lived here for three years i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry, I'm sorry. Also, I'm no longer Mrs. Solis since we're married, so. Well, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> she kept her last name from her previous marriage. I have nothing. I have nothing. Okay, so let's go. Um, let's go where things are more normal. Back over to Susan's house. Fair. So Zach pops over to visit Julie. And um, Susan says she's in the shower, but Zach stays and tells her, we're not moving. And Susan's like, oh, no. Oh no, I'm gonna have to continue to manage this. Mm. Um, Zach, Zach scares, Zach shares that Julie's the first girl he ever gave flowers to, and and Susan realizes that his feelings are kind of serious, mm. and shares, you know, you can't see Julie; she's only 14. Like this isn't this isn't appropriate. I need you to stop seeing her. Zach says no. I won't stop seeing her and then goes into a little bit of a red rage, um, becoming physical with some of the furniture Uh and Susan gets a little bit scared, but also I think feels empowered Mm -hmm. in her no now and says, you know, now you really need to leave. And if you come back around, I'm going to call the police. Uh, Completely Fair. fair. Completely fair. fair. If that's how you behave and that is your lack of um, self-control, it would scare me for you to be around my child too. Yes. And I wouldn't be taking any chances if I had if I had my my way and I am the mom and I do have my way. Or at least I'm going to pretend I do for that's right now. That's fair. I'll give you yeah. that. Because in those final words, um, sooner or later the time comes when we must all choose, we must all become responsible adults. 
and learn to give up what we want so we can do what is right. And that kind of is the, they pan over Gabby, um, that she's doing the right thing. She's with Carlos. Of course, a lifetime of responsibility isn't always easy. And as the years go on, it's a burden that can become too heavy for some to bear, panning over um, Rodney Scavo, who has made different arrangements so that he can continue to be a responsible adult-ish. Um, ish. Heavy on the ish. Yeah. But still, we try to do what is best, what is good, not only for ourselves, but for those we love. And we see Susan knock on the door of Julie's room, and we see as an audience, I don't feel like Susan knows this, that the window is open and Julia snuck out to, to see Zach, presumably, and then we find out, yes, to see Zach. She tells him that her mom says that she can't see him anymore. What are we going to do? And Zach's going to have to formulate a plan. Yeah, but my last question with this episode, how are these kids sneaking into the high school gym and the twinkle lights are still on and nobody's there? Piss poor security is what I'd say. Yeah, that doesn't happen now. Or maybe it does. Maybe mm. it does, but I don't know. The, it was an, I'm sure it was an artistic choice. And again, why we have no teachers in the writer's room when we're writing about children who are school age. But yes. So yes, sooner or later, we must all become responsible adults. And no one knows this better than the young. Mm. can't wait to see what happens next where are we going next well where are we going next love is in the air of course it is (laughs) which would come around just around valentine's day uh so so we'll pick that right back up and until then i'm rachel and i'm amanda and thank you for listening to noisy fulfillment bye Thank you.